together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you that you speak through your word, that you reveal Jesus, you reveal the way that he is working, uh, Lord, in the world, in our lives, in the church. We thank you for this example of a church that is thriving because you are being preached, that is thriving because your spirit is upon them, that is multiplying because your spirit is leading them. And Lord, I ask you to do the same for us. Lord, I ask you to do this as we hear your word, that you would move our hearts to be in step with your spirit. Give us faith to believe. Lord, I ask that you would move the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart now to be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to uh, talk to you from the book of Acts because you know this by now. I love the book of Acts. I get excited every time I read it. Um, It's not surprising that we're talking about church planting, is it? Because the book of Acts is all about what God is doing through starting new churches, the, the work of the Holy Spirit through sending people out to plant new churches and to see more people come to faith in Jesus. But uh, one of the things that I think about when I think about the book of Acts is it seems to be not just a description of what happens, but a particularly ordered group of events that the Holy Spirit has inspired as uh, Luke wrote the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit inspired these words to be a bit of a playbook for us. If you're familiar with um, Gridiron or if you're from the United States, NFL, uh, it's a sport that you have different plays and when you employ those plays, uh, you can win the game. I was watching an episode of uh, Monk, which is a detective show that my wife and I quite enjoy. And uh, in that uh, episode, uh, the playbook of a particular NFL game was stolen by an agent from the other team. And it seemed that when they were playing the game, the other team didn't know that they had the playbook, uh, that they had this divine intervention with them, that they were able to do things that they wouldn't ordinarily have been able to do and succeed beyond ordinary measure because they had this secret playbook with them. And in a way, the book of Acts is our secret playbook for church growth. It is our secret playbook for church planting. It is our secret playbook for the way that God is working in the world. And we have these amazing examples, just to keep using the sporting metaphor, these amazing plays that we can see here that we should follow that we should take heed of, that we should say, hey, what's happening here? What was God doing in this particular instance? How was he working? And how might we use that example and follow it in our day and in our time to see more people come to faith in Jesus, to see Christians built up and matured as we see happens in the church here. And so this morning, I want to look together at God's playbook for church planting. And the first aspect of that is, uh, and the first part is in uh, Acts 11, verses 19 to 30. Our case study, if you will, is the church in Antioch. Now, Antioch is um, north of Jerusalem and Israel. It's uh, in a sort of ancient Syria. 
Uh, it was a place where there were some Jews living, it tells us, some uh, Jewish people who were believers in God. Uh, and that's, as we know, the Christians, the first Christians went out and first went to the Jews only. But something unusual happened. They started speaking to Hellenists or Greek-speaking non-Jews. And this is really one of the first times uh, that people who have nothing to do with God, who don't want anything to do with Him themselves, they worship other gods, people share the gospel with them. And what does it say? They believed. And many, not just a few, many turned to the Lord. Something is happening in this church. So fruitful churches. God's first aspect for, in his playbook for church planting is fruitful sending churches. And I want you to notice something, that in these fruitful, center, uh, fruitful sending churches, they get first things first. Have a look with me. What, how's the church formed? Let's have a look in verse 20. It says, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, so from other places, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, that is the Greek-speaking non-Jews also, preaching the Lord Jesus. How's the church established? Preaching the Lord Jesus. Interestingly, it's not just through you know, going to a new place and becoming friends with people in the local community, though that might be important. It's not just through doing acts of service and good works and serving the poor and the marginalised in the local community, though that is important. No, first things first means the church is built by preaching the Lord Jesus because the most important thing that anyone needs is Jesus as Saviour and Lord because that gets us through this life and the next. It's of eternal value. It's not to downplay those other things, but say something is more important. And to add to that, verse 21, it gives us a bit of an idea of what God was doing. It says, and the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with them. This is another way of saying the Holy Spirit empowered what they were doing. So there was preaching to non-Christian people, people who really didn't want anything to do with God. They were content within themselves. It's interesting, I was chatting to a bloke last night at a party uh, and he was saying, you know, he's, he's heard about Christianity and he's not interested. And he was saying that as if, well, that's, that's the end of the story. But I've been listening to people's testimonies now for the past 20 years and I've got to tell you, most people, I know who've come to faith have been uninterested in God and then God got a hold of them and he flipped their life upside down. And so I said to this guy, I said, you can't count yourself out because God seems to come after people who are disinterested in him. He does. And that's what he's doing here. We are in a country, are we not, of people who are increasingly non-religious. I just shared some stats before. The Average in metropolitan Adelaide is 45% of people who self-identify as non-religious. It's the biggest category now. It sort of outweighs those that are identify as Christian in our country and nominally Christian even. People are saying, I am not a Christian now. 
in this country, which is new, as long as we've been having censuses anyway. It's new. But God is not put off by statistics. I mean, come on. Right? The Bureau, the Census Bureau, and they, you know, they, they made a big mistake. Was it 2016, the census fail year? They haven't got it all together. The stats only just tell us how things are, but God knows the beginning from the end. God is the one who loves these people and gave his own son for them. I want you to notice something, that fruitful sending churches get first things first. So there's the preaching of the Lord Jesus, there's the work of the Spirit, the hand of the Lord was with them. We see a little bit later on that God raises up Barnabas and what does he do? He exhorts them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So the church is established, it is built and grown through the preaching of the Lord Jesus and the exhortation of the Lord Jesus, empowered by the Spirit. All of these things need to work together. This evangelizing, this work of the Spirit and this teaching of God's people all need to work together in order to see fruitful churches. When I lived in country Victoria, we lived in a place called Wheatsheaf. It's a great name for a country town, isn't it? Wheatsheaf. And in Wheatsheaf, we were part of a, a, a group of neighbours because we lived on a five-acre block in the middle of bushland in Wombat State Forest. That's another great name, isn't it? Wombat State Forest. Wheatsheaf, Wombat State Forest in Victoria. And uh, we, we, our neighbours used to get together every sort of quarter or so and have a, um, a meeting about the fire danger. And we do training and encourage one another and talk about all the different things you need to do. But one thing stuck out from those training meetings, I used to tag along with my parents as a child, and I did did recall some things. Children are always listening. Uh, the three things that you need for a fire is fuel, oxygen, and heat. And when you get those three things together, there's a chemical reaction called combustion. And combustion happens and then you get a bushfire. You take out any one of those three elements, you have no fire. And it's the same here in these fruitful sending churches, getting first things first. You must have the preaching of the Lord Jesus, the preaching of the gospel. You must have the work of the Holy Spirit and you must have someone to speak to. Who are they speaking to? Hellenists. They were speaking to already religious people and non-religious people, but you take out any one of those elements and you do not have a fruitful church. So fruitful sending churches get first things first. They also become a thriving community, a thriving community. I just want to like go over this uh, text in Acts 11 and just point out a few things that were going on there. So first it says, a great number who believed turned to the Lord. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? A great number who believed also turned to the Lord. They came under his lordship. They gave their lives for him. It's very specific in the way that it says it. In fact, we catch a little bit of that at the end of verse 26. It says, And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is the first place in the world where everyone else was looking at them and going, hey, that's the Christians. What made them stand out so much? What made their community stand out so much? 
that others called them Christians. Well, Jesus told us. He said, you'll be known for your love for one another. They had a thriving community. People were coming to faith and everyone was like, oh, and word got around. And people started, the gossip began about these Christians, these Christ followers, because they were different, because their love marked them in a particular way. They were a thriving community. I want you to also notice that this was a multi-ethnic community. We've got Jewish people getting converted and non-Jewish people getting converted. We read a little bit later in Acts 13, there's people from all over the place in this church, speaking different languages, from different nations. This church is thriving because the gospel is not just for one culture and one people and one language. It is for everyone. Jesus is for all. We see this happening in this thriving community. Further, I want you to see that God raised up leaders full of the Holy Spirit and faith. We see God raised up Barnabas. God raised up Saul. You know, there's prophets and teachers in the church. We read in chapter 13. God is raising these people. This church is thriving. People are getting converted. People from all nations are coming to faith and growing in their faith together. Separated previously by culture, by language, by nation of origin. They are together as one before God. This church is a thriving community. But I want to say this. The centre of the church was not the community. The centre of the church was not the community. I was chatting to another friend who's not a Christian uh, down at the pub the other night. Yes, your pastor does go to the pub with friends. That's okay. And uh, I was there and we were having a chat about church stuff, being, um, me being a Christian and whatever else. And, and we were talking and he's asked a question uh, about the church community. And I said, look, actually, one of the unique things about the Christian community is we're like a footy club that never has an off-season in that we spend a lot of time together. I mean, for a lot of Christians, we're spending two times, seeing each other two, three times a week, like all together. And so we know what's going on in one another's lives. We're like a family. So it is amazing. We have this amazing level of community, which is really unknown. I thought the best comparison is really a footy club, where you get that kind of mateship, except they have an off-season. And you know when when the blokes sort of, or the women, they grow up and they have kids, they find it really hard. So they stop being a part of the footy club and they miss that. And yet we don't. We have this family. And you know, we spend time together like family. We get on each other's nerves like family do, don't we? We do. We do. You can just nod along. Yeah, yeah. We do. We annoy each other. That's what family does. And we also uniquely forgive and love one another because God has forgiven and loved us. So we are this unique community and yet the secret of, is not the community because you can go out and get community at any footy club in this country or a netball club or a soccer club or whatever you like to play, badminton, if you will. Maybe not a badminton club. But you can get community pretty much anywhere but you cannot get this kind of community 
anywhere. This kind of community comes because it's a Christ-centered community. So it is thriving, but the secret of it is that it is shaped by Christ. We are distinct because we're not held together by a common sport. We're not held together by a common language. We're not held together by a common ethnicity. We're not held together by a common culture. We're held together by a common Lord. What else do we see about fruitful sending churches? They are generous. I find this fascinating. Verse 27 to 30 says that there was um, a prophet came and, and God revealed to this prophet uh, that there was going to be a famine. And, it, and Luke records this actually took place. So God spiritually reveals that there's going to be a famine in advance of it happening. So they, they can't even see it happening. And what does this new church do? They get their money together to support Christians in other places. They are a new church. It says each according to everyone according to his ability. They all put their money together to serve others out of their own back pockets. They are generous during a time of famine. Everyone gave according to their own ability. You know, the, the rich gave more, the poor gave less, but they all gave. They're others focused. Isn't this amazing? A fruitful church is one that is generous. And yet, the church is not centered on justice and mercy. You know, I think everyone in this country would agree that justice and mercy are good things to be doing. Right? In fact, you, you don't need to be a Christian to do justice and mercy, do you? You don't. You can do charity work, you can give money to the poor. You can do anything you like to serve and help others without having anything to do with Jesus. But what is the difference of this community? They do it because of what God first did for them. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Talks, talking about Jesus said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The motiva- this is where the difference lies between the Christian and the world. Our motivation to give generously, to serve others in need, to serve the marginalised, the poor, those, on the, those who are struggling, for whatever reason, and we all struggle at various times, let's be honest. Our motivation is because Jesus first did it for us. He gave up the riches of heaven and became born in a manger, in poverty. Died with nothing to his name and yet to give us everything, to share a great rich inheritance with us in his great resurrection. And so we do it because of what Jesus has done for us, out of love. And so it's not a community-centred church. It's not a justice and mercy-centred church. It is a Christ-centred church. And oddly, the way that it happens here is through the preaching and the teaching of the Lord Jesus. That's what really gets into people's hearts. Now, you might say to yourself, well, I know plenty of churches that preach and teach the Lord Jesus that aren't that focused on justice and mercy and aren't that good at community, and that's probably true. That's probably true. And I dare say if you look deeper into that, there'd be something missing out of that dynamic combination of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God being taught. It's a bit like this. All these things, like 
you can put the elements together for a thriving church, but God must do something. It's, it's a bit like having a beautiful, big V8 engine. Well, the bloke's getting excited, some of them are getting excited. A beautiful, big V8 engine, 351. Okay, so it's got, it's got the horsepower, it's got the grunt, it's got eight cylinders. You know, you've got it filled up. It's ready to go. You turn on the ignition, nothing happens. Why? No spark plugs. You forgot the spark plugs. This giant engine, this roaring beast, what does it need? It needs a spark to set it off. And the spark of the church is the hand of God. We might preach the Lord Jesus, but lest the hand of God is upon us, there is no spark. We might have a great community, lest the hand of God is upon us, there is no spark. You know, and you always give up something, don't you? You might be a preaching church, but then you, your community's poor. Or you might be a community church, but your preaching's poor. You might be a justice and mercy church, but, you know, there's no preaching, there's not much community. But God wants us to be fruitful in all these different ways. And the only way to do that is to actually see God's hand upon the church. God to come. How do we do that? How do we really see God do something in our time and place? Where's the focus got to be? I think things get out of order, even in the teaching, even if you've got a Bible church. Things get out of order when we lose who it's all about. You can even say the right words and yet not have the right heart. And for this church, and for any other churches that we decide to plant, God willing, our heart beats, you know, the, the heart, right? The, the, the thing that pumps the blood around the spiritual body, the thing that keeps us alive. Our heart beats for the Lord Jesus, and it ought to. And everything else flows out from there. And that's what marks a fruitful sending church. So in God's playbook for church planting, this church in Antioch, this beautiful case study, it is fruitful in many ways. But what does God lead them to do next? Well, secondly, he leads them into Holy Spirit-led church planting. Holy Spirit-led church planting. Uh, in 2002, a great movie was released and in that movie was the line, with great power comes great responsibility. What was that movie? Spider-Man, my wife's telling me, yes, that's correct. Spider-Man, thank you. <laughs> with great it, it sounds like a really compelling quote. It's like Spider-Man. Like, oh, they stole it. They stole the idea from someone else. That's okay. But it is an important idea. With great power comes great responsibility. And I think the same is true for churches. With, with fruitfulness... With God working in your midst comes great responsibility. I have got to say that this church has been extraordinarily blessed over the past almost five years now, four and a half years. Extraordinarily blessed. Haven't we? I mean, I, I couldn't have imagined the things that happened. And I'm a pretty ambitious Optimistic person, those that know me well will nod your head. Don't, yes, sometimes too much so. 
That's why God sends me church planting and with my family because we're quite optimistic. But God has done some amazing things. God has done some amazing things. Just to mention, you know, we started with a small team in 2018, meeting in the library just over there with the heart, right, the heart that this church would be a church where non-Christians came to faith in Jesus and a home where Christians would grow and mature, just like we see in the church in Antioch. Uh, with eight people meeting in my wife and I's living room in the, as we prepared to plant this church. And in March 2018, uh, we started, I think 50 or 60 people came along that first Sunday, which was a big surprise to us. But in God's grace, over the course of that year, like a year from then, God managed to uh, have an, another church that's meeting on this site, Maranatha Christian Assembly, wind up, gift us this parcel of land and a million dollars towards building a new building. Managed to raise up a, new, a Chinese pastor who we were, we were praying that God would raise up workers for the harvest. And God did. The next Sunday, he sent to us Pastor Sam Chan, who had a vision for planting a new Chinese congregation in this church. Just within one year of planting our first services, that's what God did. And in the following years since, we've, in God's grace, been able to build this tremendous building. See, many people come to faith. I think we've seen over 30 baptisms in this church over the past four and a half years, which is tremendously encouraging. I'd love to see many more, but I'm tremendously encouraged to see that. Most of those in our Chinese congregation which is an amazing work of God. As I shared earlier, we've seen two church plants come out of this church. In 2020, Charlie Tatera sent to Poland as a, to plant a city-reached church, having their first uh, Sunday today. Uh, in 2021, sending out the team uh, led by Tom and Jazz Edwards to Canberra to plant a new church, and God willing again in 2023. All this to say, and I agree wholeheartedly with what Barnabas saw. In verse 23 it says, And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. So I'm glad. I hope you're glad. I hope you look back with great memories of what God has done in your own life and are glad. We ought to be thankful. We ought to be extraordinarily thankful for what God has done in this time. But it doesn't end there. With great power comes great responsibility. That means we've got things to do. And it's interesting that the Holy Spirit is the driver of it. I want you to look with me in chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, particularly in verse 2. So there's an explanation of who's praying. The leaders of the church are praying together in verse 1. Then verse 2, it says, while they are worshipping the Lord and fasting, so they're drawing near to God, right? They're drawing near to God, that God would draw near to them. And what does God do? He speaks. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. God is setting us, oddly, the senior leadership, to go out and to plant more churches. One of the things that, as an eldership, we've been praying over this year uh, about seeking the Lord, whether we ought to do this, whether we ought to plant a church in Mount Barker, whether we ought to actually send out uh, Morella and I, is we've, we've been looking for our Acts 13 moment. To have unity as a leadership, believing that it's the Holy Spirit who says it. Because I get lots of ideas. Yeah, we wanted to make sure this was God's idea. 
We want to make sure that God was in it, believing that he would do it. And interestingly here, church planting is God's idea. There's this fascinating phrase. It says, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I've called them. The work. What is the work? The Holy Spirit has set aside the work, some specific work for Paul and Barnabas to be doing. What is that? It's planting new churches. They go and, they, and we read about it in the rest of the book of Acts. They would go to new places. They would evangelize, share the gospel, just like repeating what happened in Antioch, share the gospel with people. People would come to faith in Jesus. They'd establish leadership. They'd teach them to grow and mature. And they'd go and do it again. They'd go and do it again. God calls existing churches to go and do it again. Now, there's a little bit of criticism about church planting. Some of you, perhaps even in your heart, are like, why are we start looking to start new churches when there's plenty of churches already in Adelaide? Good question. Very good question. I've got an answer for you, of course. One of the things we need to do when it comes to thinking about what God is doing, what his playbook is, is we look to the harvest, not to the flock. Let me repeat that. We look to the harvest, not to the flock. So the flock is whose are God's already. And God loves the flock, don't get me wrong, but he goes and leaves the 99 and goes after the one, doesn't he? He leaves those that are outside. He leaves the flock to go to those who are outside. We have a missionary God. The harvest field, Jesus looked to the harvest field, the multitudes who are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The whole point here is that there are an absolute multitude. There is an absolute multitude of people who have no, nothing to do with Jesus and don't want anything to do, him in this country, do with him in this country. It's not that we're semi-Christianized and people need to now and people need to, uh, you know, just hear that Jesus is Lord. No, pe- people, you know, have heard about Christianity and they want nothing to do with it. But God wants something to do with them. That's the message of the Bible. Now, the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us because God wants something to do with us. He loves us. Just so much so that he was willing to go to the ends of the earth, the depths of the earth, even into hell itself to save us from it. Out of his great love. And so we look to the harvest, not to the flock. Church planting is about reaching non-Christians. Sure, Christians will be caught up along the way and revitalized and strengthened in their faith and grown and matured and that is good and that glorifies Jesus on the last day. But in our current contemporary context in Australia, we need thriving local churches and I've already spoken about that, but for the unreached, for the 45 or 55 or and in the years to come, 80, 90%, 95% of Australians who identify as not Christian, we need Christians to go to them because they're not coming to us. That's the message. We are much more like the time of Acts 
than we realize. We got to go to them. And we go because God came first to us. Church planting can be a little bit like black opal mining. I was, um, I was walking past some family who were watching a TV show. And you know when you sort of walk past a TV show and they just sit there for two hours? That's what I did. And it was like opal mining Australia. I love, I love that kind of like just burly blokes. And women as well. And, and you know, like opal mining out in the, the bush somewhere. And there's this, apparently there is a black opal. Now, I'll, I'll tell you how good black opal is. So... Gold is apparently worth up to $2 per gram. Black opal can be worth up to $2,000 per gram. It's a valuable, precious stone. Now, it's, of course, very rare, thus the value of it. And uh, I was watching one of the teams, because several teams throughout the country, and one of the teams um, had this sort of husband and wife, and, and the father and mother were sort of bankrolling it. And the father comes out with a stick, in, the, in a Y shape, and we're sort of walking around with a stick trying to find uh, where the opal is. Now, if, if you're like, what's the stick about? Well, some of us who are a little bit older will know of the, the practice of divining. Divining. The idea is that you can pick up the vibrations in a special shaped stick to see where water is or precious metals or whatever. It's a bit hocus-pocus, let's be honest. But it's quite funny because they think that if you, if you have this special stick, then you'll find the ore. Then you'll find this precious stone and become rich at $2,000 per gram. Now, for some of us, the idea of seeing non-Christians converted or planting your churches can feel a little bit like hunting for black opal. And I've got to be honest with you, I would say most of the church growth in this city that I, and I know this city better than others in this country, comes through Christians going from one church to another. Sort of the, it's the, the great sort of sh- seat shuffling that goes on every five years or so from one church to another. Now, oftentimes that's for good reasons, and oftentimes it's not for good reasons. But what about everyone else? What about everyone else? They're a bit like the black opal. And sometimes if, you don't need a special stick, you know, that vibrates it supposedly to find these non-Christians and go and reach them. No, we need to be obedient to what the Bible says to go and do. Go to them. Go plant churches. Be obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Go and do the work to which he has called us to. And I find this very interesting because church planting is extremely practical. So where did they go after Acts 13? They sort of they had a spiritual revelation. The Holy Spirit spoke to them. Hey, go to the work to which I've called you. It's a bit ambiguous, isn't it? So what do they do? They use their minds. They use their bodies. They go to Cyprus, which is you know just over just a short boat ride away. They just go to Cyprus, and what does it say? Sent out by the Holy Spirit. He's guiding them at every step. They go to Cyprus. And then Paul, we think, gets malaria. He gets sick. So where do they go next? They go to the mountainous regions to the north of Cyprus, Galatia. So heals up a bit. What do they do there? He starts sharing the gospel and planting more churches because people come to faith and leaders are established and these churches are birthed. It's extremely practical and extremely spiritual. So we don't use a divining stick. We don't 
need superpowers, but we do need the power of the Holy Spirit, yet we've got to get out there. Get our hands dirty. Meet people who don't know Jesus yet. Intentionally so. That's why my family and I are moving to Mount Barker. We're moving there because there's people there that don't know Jesus. We're moving into the community to embed ourselves with the local people, putting our kids in a local school. And those that go with us, we're seeking that they would get jobs in the local community, that they would put their children in the local schools, that they would settle down in that neighbourhood and meet people who don't know Jesus for the purpose of them having the great treasure that we already have. And I encourage each of you to do that wherever you are at, no matter whether you go or stay. You're either ascending church or you're, a, or you're part of the church plant. Either way, God calls us to act like that, to be missionaries wherever we are. So, so in God's playbook for church planting, we've seen two things so far. We've seen fruitful sending churches. God wants that. God wants churches that are fruitful. He wants Holy Spirit-led church planting because he's guiding the program. He's set them aside for the work. But thirdly, it's all to be done in the grace of of God. It's all to be done, all in the grace of God. I've been listening to a bit of Nick Cave music recently. You might know this already. But there was an interview with him in The Australian, The Weekend Australian, and I was fascinated by it. Because normally interviewers avoid the subject of religion and God, but this interview was specifically on the subject of religion and God, because Nick Cave's just released a new book, The Australian a musician has released a new book about his own wrestle with religion. And he said some fascinating things. Just let me read out a couple of them to you. He said, I think there was always a yearning within me for something else, something beyond myself from which I felt excluded. Even in the most chaotic times when I was struggling with addiction, I always felt desirous of those who had a religious dimension to their lives. I had a kind of a spiritual envy, a longing for belief in the face of impossibility of belief that addressed a fundamental emptiness in me. There was always a yearning. And then he says this, I think I'd be happier if I just stopped window shopping and stepped through the front door. Now, I think this is true for those that observe Christianity from the outside, but I think this is just as true for many Christians. Because if we are to be a fruitful church, if we are to be part of Holy Spirit-led church planting, then we've got to be all in with the grace of God, not just looking through the shop window. Going through the front door is a symbolic way that Nick Cave picked up, that he realised that if you're really going to receive this, you've got to be all in. There's a cost, of course. There's always a cost to being all in. It's a bit of a gambling metaphor, isn't it? You just lay everything on the table. I'm all in. You know, the watch is off. The car keys are out there. The title deed to your house. Everything. You're all in. It's all his. And I want to tell you that real Christianity has always been all in. Think for a minute with me about if you converted. Some of you here have come to faith in Jesus. Some of you haven't. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. But for those of you that came to faith in Jesus, what was it? It was all in. You know, wallet, keys, title deed, the whole lot. Life, choices. 
There's this fascinating phrase. We, we read it earlier in uh, chapter 11 of Acts. In verse 21, it says, And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. What does the word Lord mean? It means master. It means boss. It means king. They turned to him and they preached the Lord. Remain steadfast to the Lord was the teaching. Stick with him. He's king. It's all in. It's all in from conversion. It's all in for Christian maturity. I tell you, at every stage of my life, at every stage of my life when I've grown, it's because I've said to the Lord, I'm all in. I'm all in. And I tell you, this church will thrive if we're all in. It will thrive. It'll grow. It'll plant more churches. Churches that are sent, churches that are planted will thrive if people are all in. What makes someone want to be all in with God? Stop looking through the shop window and actually walk in the front door, as our friend Nick Cave says. What makes people believe and turn to the Lord? What makes people in 1123 remain faithful to the Lord? What makes church leaders send out the senior pastor to go plant a church in Acts 13 and in our case as well, oddly? What makes people be all in? What makes an eldership go... We believe God's in this. What makes us stop looking through the shop window and walk in the front door? The answer is this. We can only be all in with God if we see that first he is all in with us. He's all in with us. I was thinking about this um, because... Uh, with, with, with a marriage relationship. You know, you, when, you, when you get married, at least you should, you're sort of all in, you're throwing your lot in with that person. Now, when my wife and I got married, we didn't know each other for that long before we got married, but we, we got to the point where we were like, yep, we're all in. And so that was enough. And we, said, and we said, when you know, you know. And so we decided to get married at that point and we actually got to know each other after we got married better than before, of course. And those of us that have been married for a long time know this. You get to the point where you're all in. You decide, oh, it doesn't matter. I know enough. I'm going to give myself fully to that person. And you trust that that person will be all in with you as well. You know, you trust that they'll give their whole life for you. And you don't know, of course, but you believe that they will. There's this song uh, that came out probably 10, 15 years ago uh, by Bruno Mars. And one of the... um, the lyrics goes, I'll catch a grenade for you. Now, Bruno Mars ain't catching grenades for nobody, I tell you that. He was just trying to explain how much he loves, he loves a particular you know, fancy that he had. I'm sure he's told that to many women, that he was going to catch a grenade for them, and I don't see any grenades in his hands. But the point was that he would die for them. The point was that he would give his life for someone else. This great act of love would then, and it's in a song to appeal to the heart of another person. If someone hears, I'll catch a grenade for you, they're supposed to go, oh, I love you too. Oh, that's the idea. But it's all the more true when we don't just have to believe something that could happen, but we know something that has happened. Jesus caught the grenade for us. 
Jesus took the penalty of sin for us. Jesus was all in whilst we were still sinners. That's what the Bible tells us. There's a God who you may or may not know. There's a God who you're interested in or you're not. There's a God out there who you might have nothing to do with, who don't care at all about, and he cares intently about you, so much so that he gave himself in love on a cross to bear your own sin, the just penalty for your sin against the wrath of God, the just wrath of God. Jesus in love and God the Father in love was sent for your sake to show that he would go to the uttermost for you to save you, to give you life, to give you spiritual birth and for all eternity. And so if God is all in with us, I mean, this is the centre of Christianity, is Christ, the church where they were first called Christians. They were called Christians because they were out and about in the community. People witnessed that they were different from others, but they called themselves Christians too. Because Christ had given everything for them. So in this church, in this time, I want to be called Christians, not because we have a great community, though I think we do have a wonderful community. And it's a sign of community when you annoy one another, okay? Because, because you actually know what's going on in one another's lives. You're sort of over the, you know, the superficial and you're getting down to, actually, these people are different to me. And that's when we start to deploy the gifts of love and forgiveness. But we're not a church that just has a great community. We're not a church that just cares about the poor and marginalised. Though we started an op shop and a cafe for those very reasons. Though we desire to care for those who are going through tough times in our local community. Now we're a church that is all in for God and his purposes because he was first all in for us. And I want us to keep going. Remain steadfast. What did Barnabas do? He exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And so that is my exhortation for you. Remain steadfast to the Lord. Remain faithful to him with steadfast purpose. Keep going. Pray. Ask that God will open doors. You know, we're, we're not going to be leaving straight away. Uh, the plan is that uh, over the next few months, God will raise up a new senior pastor, but we're going to move into the uh, local Mount Barker region, God willing, as we sell our house and buy a new home. We're going to put our kids into school up there. I'll continue on my role as the senior pastor here uh, as we pray and seek for a new senior pastor to take uh, my place in this local church. But your role, your role is to keep prayerful. Your role is to exhort one another, as long as it's called today, to remain faithful to Jesus because he remained faithful to you. Your role together with me is to pray that God will plant many more churches out of this church and see much more fruit happen in this local church for the glory of God because there is a great day coming. There is a great day coming. When Jesus will return, he'll come back on the clouds in glory and all the earth will see him. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And on that great day, 
I want this to be a church where we said we're all in. We know enough. We've heard the gospel. We believe it. We remind one another daily, weekly, every time we gather. And we're all in. Because he was first all in with us. All right, will you pray with me now? Our Father, we thank you that you were first all in with us. Lord, as we consider what it means to be a church that is both sending, Lord, and also planting. Lord, as we consider what it means to be looking for a new senior pastor, but also prayerfully asking that God would open a door for the gospel in the Adelaide Hills. We pray, Lord, that you would move our hearts to be all in with you, for you were first all in with us. Lord, that we would see that what this example in the book of Acts is for our good, it's for our faith, it's for our stirring. Lord, we ask that you would fill us with a sense of your grace and be glad because of it. Lord, we praise you, give you thanks this morning. We pray these things together in Jesus' name.